Well, welcome to Genesis. Um, as Kendall mentioned, my name is Michael, and I uh, serve here as a pastor. I'm thankful that uh, you guys are here. Uh, we are in the midst of our fall series, and our fall series is just called Jesus is Not Part of My Life. And uh, for me personally, this has been a really encouraging season uh, because I feel like I'm learning a ton. I feel like I'm growing a ton, and it's been encouraging uh, the amount of people who are like, Michael, this is starting to click. Uh, like if you would have interviewed me five weeks ago when we started, I would have raised my hand and said, yeah, Jesus is a big part of my life, but I'm starting to realize he actually doesn't want to be part of my life. He wants me to declare Jesus is my life. He's all of my life. And so uh, it's been a really encouraging season. The last uh, two Sundays, uh, we spent time talking about what I called tricky topics. And uh, two weeks ago, we talked about the mind and our thoughts and what would it look like to actually say Jesus is not a piece or a part of my thoughts, but he has all of them. Uh, and then last week, we talked about, I think, even a trickier topic in the heart. How does one actually understand the human heart? It's confusing. It can be deceitful. Uh, and what would it look like to say, Jesus doesn't have a section of my heart or a piece of it, but he's got all of my heart. Now, tonight, uh, we are talking about, I don't think it's a tricky topic. Uh, I think it's pretty straightforward, uh, but I think it's huge. It's a massive topic uh, that we're talking about uh, this evening, and it's the future. Uh, specifically your future, uh, my future. Now, if you would have asked me years ago, Michael, when you think about the future, what do you think about? Like, what comes to mind when you think about your future? And I'd ask you the same thing. What comes to mind? Well, when I thought about the future, I would think about, like, tomorrow. <laughs> like, what's happening in my life tomorrow? What's happening in my life next week? What's going to happen in my life a month from now? Or what could possibly happen in my life a year from now? So my future was best described in days or weeks or months uh, or years. Uh, and tonight, uh, I want to challenge us, challenge myself, challenge you to think so much bigger than just tomorrow, next week, next month, next year. Because when I'm thinking about future, I'm thinking about like capital F future. I'm talking about future like eternity. Uh, Ecclesiastes um, uh, chapter 3 verse 11 uh, simply says this, yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. He has planted eternity in the human heart. What that means is there's something within each of us. Uh, there's something within all of us that would say, gosh, there's got to be more. Uh, there's got to be something more than just next tomorrow or next week or next month or next year. Uh, and that something more has been planted there by God himself because God makes clear we weren't just created for a handful of years here and now. God has actually created us forever. And so tonight when we're talking about future, uh, I'm not talking about your life tomorrow or next month or next year. I'm talking about your eternal existence. Uh, I saw this uh, from another pastor years ago, but it stuck with me. And I wanted to share hopefully a helpful illustration or example uh, to kind of prime the pump about what your future actually looks like. Uh, now, this is a rope, uh, and it's a pretty long rope. Uh, I think it's about 100, 150 feet. And when you see this rope here, right there, I want you to kind of think about this rope is, uh, it's a picture of you. It's your existence. Uh, this rope uh, could, would represent kind of a timeline of your life. And so if you look at this rope, 
that's a pretty, pretty long rope, and it goes on and on for a while. But one of the things that Scripture makes very clear uh, is that our life, best understood, really looks like a breath, a shadow, a mist, a vapor. Uh, and so if you really consider your life in light of eternity, uh, it would actually look something like this. I don't know if you can see, that's a, a piece of green duct tape. This green duct tape best represents on the timeline of your existence, and this rope has an end, but I want you to know you don't have an end. You exist forever. Uh, but this green piece of tape here represents the few moments that you have here uh, on, this, on this planet. Okay, so 60, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years, somewhere in between there. And I, at one point, was just obsessed with always thinking about my few moments here. I would dwell on it. I would obsess over it and be like, well, if I do this really well here, it will set me up here. And then if I do that well, I can, I can have... And I could not stop thinking about my future in terms of just right here, giving really no thought to really my existence and my future over the timeline of just my existence. And so a question I would start with tonight is, when you think about you and your existence and your future, how many of you just are thinking right here? When you think about you, your existence, your future, how many are just stuck in these moments right here? Because if Jesus is just part of your future or like a piece of your future, you're going to live right here. You're going to be focused, obsessed, even anxious or worried about these few moments that we have right here. But if Jesus would not just be a piece of your future or part of your future, you're going to start living much bigger to say, gosh, I was created and I'm going to live for eternity. What would it look like to take the few moments, the breath, the vapor, the shadow I have and really be thinking about it? holistically down this timeline of my existence that will go on and on forever. And so tonight, my hope is to say, let's not live here, okay? Let's not just live thinking, obsessing over these few moments. Uh, what would it actually look like for all of us to say, if I was created to exist forever, how do I live my few moments that I've been given here in, in, in light of that? So I want to pray one more time, if you would. And just say, uh, Father God, thank you for our time tonight. Uh, God, you already know what's going to happen in this, in this place. God, you have already been preparing each of us to be at this point in time in this place tonight. Uh, God, so that we might worship you, but with that we might also hear from you and what you have to say to us in this place. So God, I do pray that you would open our minds, open our hearts, uh, God, to understand some, some pretty challenging things as it relates to our future and our eternity uh, God, I pray that none of us uh, moving forward would just live in between the green tape and just be focused on that. But God, think so much bigger that you have created us for eternity. Uh, so God, help us tonight in new ways and fresh ways to understand that of how we might live our lives in light of that. We pray that, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Uh, as I've done in uh, the weeks past, I generally want to ask one question and hope, hopefully answer the question. And so the question tonight is, what would it look like not to just live for the green tape? What would it look like not just to live for the, the moment, the breath, the vapor, the shadow that we have here, but what would it actually look like to have a very eternally focused life, an eternally driven life? So as I answer that question, uh, 
for me, it's really helpful to have a foundation on which I'm building the answer to that question upon. And so I wanted to share with you uh, three foundational truths. And I think rightly understood, rightly applied, these foundational truths really will help us live not in the green tape, uh, but live in light of the timeline, the existence that God has for us. So a first foundational truth that I'd share with you is just this. You were created to exist forever. You were created to exist forever. Uh, That is a foundational, it's just foundational to understanding that my life here and now is not it. That's not all that God has for you. You and I were created to exist forever. Now, if we believe that, if we believe that, uh, that I was created to exist forever, that does not actually put less significance on the life that I'm living here. It actually does the converse of that. So it would be easy to say, well, if I exist forever, who cares about this life? Like, what's the point? Like, who cares about my, my moments here? But if you actually believe that you were created to exist forever, then it changes how you live your life here. Namely, it begins to challenge you to ask the question, is what I'm doing with the life that I've been giving to live, is it, is, it, is it counting for eternity? Is what I'm doing with the moments that I have, what am I doing right now, is it really going to matter for eternity? And so for me, this has been a really freeing truth to realize that I was created to exist forever. So why not now start giving myself to do things that I know will matter for eternity? This is what the psalmist says. I'm going to read a few different verses. Uh, But Psalm 90 says, 70 years are given to us. Some even live to 80. But even the best years are filled with pain and trouble. Soon they disappear and we fly away. And then verse 12, teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. I love the honesty of scripture. Hey, listen, you got 70, 80 years. But the reality of those 70, 80 years, it's going to be challenging. It's going to be hard. There will be pain. There will be suffering. There will be storms and trials. And so the psalmist just says, gosh, teach me to realize the brevity of the life that I've been given in light of being created to exist forever. God, give me wisdom that every moment that I would live here would count for eternity. Psalmist goes on in Psalm 103 and says, our days on earth are like grass, like wild flowers. We bloom and die. The wind blows and we are gone as though we had never been here. But the love of the Lord remains forever with those who fear him. Scripture instructs us again and again that the love of God exists forever. There is nothing that separates us from the love that God has for us when we're in relationship with him. Again, Scripture says breath, mist, shadow, vapor. But because you are created to exist forever, eternally, knowing God now, you will never be separated from God in eternity and the love that God has for you. Now, Why would God care about a mist? If scripture says that you're a mist, your life is a vapor, a shadow, uh, why would God care about a breath? And this is one of the, it's so humbling, but so encouraging to me to know that God cares about your existence and not just your, your 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years here. God cares about where you will spend your eternal existence. The psalmist says in uh, Psalm 144, O Lord, what are human beings that you should notice them, mere mortals that you should think about them? For they are like a breath of air, their days are like a passing shadow. 
Your existence, even though we are a shadow, a vapor, your existence matters to God. Uh, C.S. Lewis, in his great book, uh, Mere Christianity, uh, talking about eternity, says this, Christianity asserts that every individual human being is going to live forever, and this must either be true or false. Now, there are a good many things which would not be worth bothering about if I were going to live only 70 years, but which I had better bother about very seriously if I'm going to live forever. And I love the wisdom of his thinking there. If I only have 70 years, 80 years, then there's a lot of things in these 70, 80, I don't even need to worry about. Why fuss over? But if it's true that I have been created to exist forever, then I need to take very seriously the moments that I have been given. John Piper in his uh, a great book, a very helpful book called Life is a Vapor, said, you exist forever. You and God are both in the universe to stay, either as friends on his terms or enemies. Which it will be is proven in this life. And this life, it's a vapor. Two seconds and we will be gone. Most important thing that you and I can do with the few years that we have been given here is decide upon where do I stand in relationship with God? Because the choices that we make in the green tape about where we relate with God, how we understand with God, the relationship uh, that we can have with God determines what our existence, where we will be with God in eternity. And so that foundational truth that you and I were created to exist forever puts a lot more weight and significance on these few moments that I have here. Namely, the most important thing is what am I doing in relationship to God? That is the most significant thing that you can do with the life that you've been given, is make a decision now of where you are in relationship to God. Now, the second foundational truth goes hand in hand with this, is this. Jesus has secured our eternity with him in heaven forever. Jesus has secured your eternity, my eternity, with him in heaven forever. Now, because Jesus has done that, you know what that frees me from? frees me from the fear of death. It frees me from the fear of wondering what's next. If Jesus has, in fact, secured my eternity with him in heaven forever, it's, it frees me from the fear of wondering, have I done enough? So in the few moments that I've been given in this life, I don't have to walk around wondering, gosh, I hope I've done enough to please God. I hope I've worked hard enough. I hope I've been spiritual or moral or religious enough if Jesus, in fact, has secured our eternity with him in heaven forever, then I can enjoy the moments that Jesus has given me, knowing that my security has been, uh, my eternity has been secured by him and him alone. One of my favorite verses in the New Testament, 1 Peter chapter 3 says this, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. Isn't that a powerful verse? Christ was without sin, but he died for sinners so that those that would look to Christ would be brought home safely to God forever. You and I created to exist forever. And the second foundational truth is Jesus did everything to secure our eternity with him in heaven forever. Here's the beauty of that foundational truth is no matter what happens in your life, no matter how big the storm, how crazy the trial, no matter how painful the pain is, how great or deep the suffering is, 
if you know and believe that Jesus has secured your home in heaven forever, well, nothing could, in this life could ever rob you of heaven's joy. Uh, a, a good friend of mine who uh, I was in a Bible study with uh, when I lived in Columbus, Ohio, I was a youth pastor at the time, uh, his name was Dave Chilcote, and uh, uh, Dave was diagnosed with uh, ALS. And if you're familiar with ALS, it's a horrific disease. Uh, it's a death sentence. And from the time that Dave was diagnosed uh, to when he went to be with the Lord was a little over two years. But when Dave was diagnosed uh, with ALS, uh, he decided to keep a journal, uh, specifically for his wife and for his kids. He just wanted to have a journal of everything that he learned about God in the most roughest season of his life. Uh, and he was a pretty young guy. He was late 40s uh, when he was diagnosed uh, with ALS. And uh, after Dave's death, his uh, wife took that journal and kind of combined or uh, put the journal in a book format and published it as No One Tells a Dying Guy to Shut Up. And that was the name of Dave's book. And uh, in that book, in his journal, this is what Dave said. Someday, unless God intervenes, Someday, unless God intervenes, I will be captive in my own body. Someday, this body of mine will stop working altogether. Is it scary to be dying? Well, absolutely. To die is frightening. With all my heart, I would like this to go away. But I am okay. My life in heaven is assured. Through God's power, my spirit is doing well. Even though my body is not, it is well with my soul. If Jesus is just a piece or a part of your future you're going to have a really hard time when suffering, pain, trials, storms come to actually say, it is well with my soul. Yeah, I wish this storm would go away. I wish this suffering would come to an end. But because Dave said Jesus is in a peace or a part of my future, he has secured heaven for me. Even ALS could not rob him of heaven's joy. I'm going to share a little bit more about Dave's story as I walk through this. But I just wanted you to hear the foundational truth. He has secured your eternity with him in heaven forever. And because of that truth, nothing will ever rob you of heaven's joy. First John, and this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have God's son does not have life. I've written this to you who believe in the name of the son of God so that you may know so that you may know you have eternal life. I can't think of a more clear, straightforward scripture verse that says, listen, it comes down to this. If you have the son, you have life. That's it. It's not if you have the son and then a long list of other things. It's if you have the son, you have life. The son has secured in his life, his death, his resurrection, eternity for you and for me. So if you have the son, you have life. So obviously, this, this is a really big question. Do you have the Son? Do you have the Son? And if you do have the Son, then you can rest assured that no matter what happens between the green tape, nothing can ever rob you of heaven's joy. No pain, no suffering, because it won't steal the reality that you were created to exist forever. Jesus secured your existence in eternity in heaven. The third foundational truth that I'd share with you is this. And this is a hard one. I get that. But number three is this. God will allow hard things in your life to awaken you to his eternal plan. God will allow hard things to happen in your life to awaken our hearts, to awaken us 
to the reality that there is so much more than just these few moments here. I wrote it down in my journal like this. It often takes a serious shakeup to get us to wake up to the reality of our eternity with an eternal God. And as I look back over uh, my years, uh, I didn't thank him at the time, but I look back now and I say, God, thank you for sending me wake-up call after wake-up call after wake-up call. God loves me. He loves you too much to allow us just to walk around with our heads down, walking through this life, thinking that this life is all there is to live. God loves you enough to send often hard things, pain, trials, suffering, storms, to get us to realize there is so much more to this life than what we're experiencing in this life. There's, there's God, and he wants us to exist with him forever, and he will send storms. He will send what I just would call wake-up calls. Uh, this is what Dave Chilcote said about his wake-up call. When you know you have no earthly hope of getting out alive, you begin to see things from God's perspective. Why is it that we are all dying, and yet somehow, we never really think about it? Before my diagnosis, I was intellectually aware I was going to die, but there was no immediacy to my situation, and therefore no urgency to wholeheartedly follow God and his plan for me. Once a physician looked me in the face and told me I am dying, I became aware that God was not kidding. There is nothing else as important as my relationship with him and my need to be totally his. Dave would later on in his journal, and this was just so challenging and convicting to me, he said this, I just wish I had understood how to live this way before I got sick. It took a wake-up call in his life to say, Dave, there's more. There's so much more that I have for you. And it's not just in these life in the green tape. Dave, I have so much more for you. And so a question I would just ask you, are you paying attention to the wake-up calls in your life? Now, they might not be earth-shattering ALS type of wake-up calls. They might just be small little voices that God is sending your way, trying to get your attention to look towards him, to look towards your eternity with him. But are you paying attention to the wake-up calls because God loves you enough to send them so that our hearts are awakened towards eternity with him. So when Jesus was just part of my life, he was part of my future, and my focus was on the green tape and life in between. But what I'm excited to share with you is what would it look like to say, Jesus doesn't have just a part of my future. He is my future. My future is not just that small section of tape. My future is my eternal existence. So how can we tonight tomorrow begin to live in light of the reality of these foundational truths that you were created to exist forever. Jesus secured your eternity with him in heaven forever. How can we begin to live our life in light of these truths? And I'm going to just share with you two things that are very personal to me. Uh, so this is not my exhaustive list, but these are, I would say, my top two things that are helping me, helping Kyla to live our life in light of eternity, not just the green tape. Because we used to just live between the green tape. But what does it look like for us now to say we are created to live forever? How do we do that? First thing I would tell you is this. I'm just going to share with you two thoughts. Number one would be this. Invest in people. What does it look like for me to live eternally minded, eternally focused? The first thing I'd share with you is invest in people. If you believe that we exist forever, then there will be no greater thing you could do with the breath that you've been given than to invest yourself in people. 
There's nothing greater you could do. No job, no career, no money, no possession. Nothing could be a greater investment of you, of yourself, than investing in the life of other people. Now, I look back over my 42 years, and I am so thankful for the men and women that have just been so kind and so faithful to pour their life into my life so that I could walk with God. I know for a fact I would not be where I am in my relationship with God unless there were some people who came alongside and said, Mike, I just want to encourage you. I just want to help you. I just want to teach you. I just want to pour into you uh, what has been poured into me. The greatest investment that you and I can make if we're going to live our lives, not for the green tape, but live our lives in light of existence of eternity, would be simply to invest in people. As you look through the story of Scripture, both Old Testament and New Testament, you will find over and over, time and time again, people investing in people. Why? Well, because we're created to exist forever. There is no greater investment. Uh, The Apostle Paul uh, is a good example of this. Uh, The Apostle Paul, when I kind of look at his life that he lived, there was really two investments that Paul made. Number one is he helped people come to know God. He invested in people by helping people come to know who God is. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, uh, verse 20 says, We are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. I just have this sense that Paul, when he's talking with and meeting with people, his investment is people first and foremost. I just, I believe that you were created to know God and walk with God and live with God in eternity. So come back to God. His investment in people was to invite people to begin that relationship with God. And then secondly, what I love about Paul is it wasn't like he was this walking billboard and invitation of come back to God, all right, you're set, next person. What Paul would do is he would invite people to come to know God, but then he helped people walk with God. Paul poured out his life investing in the people around him, helping them to know God and then helping them to walk with God. Listen to how Paul describes the relationship that he had with these few men, Titus and Timothy. He says to Titus in a letter that Paul wrote to Titus, I'm writing to Titus, my true son, in the faith that we share. If you don't know Paul, he wasn't married, so he didn't have kids. But he looked at Titus and said, you're my son. I see my role in your life as a dad. And Titus, I'm going to love you. I'm going to invest myself in you. You are my true spiritual son. He says of Timothy in 1 Timothy 1, I am writing to Timothy, my true son in the faith. And you get this idea that he didn't have biological kids, he had spiritual kids. And again, I have three kids. I love that I have biological kids. That's great. But a greater thing is having spiritual kids, is being able to walk through life and saying, I've got spiritual kids. I've got kids that I've been able to help introduce to God. And I've got kids that I've been able to say, I'm helping them walk and grow with God. Paul says this to Timothy towards the end of his letter, 2 Timothy, you have heard me teach these things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. That's Paul's way of saying, Timothy, man, it's your turn. It's your time. Like, Timothy, I've poured out into you. Now it's your time to pour out what has been poured into you into other people. Like, Timothy, find some other people that you can now take these amazing truths and help walk with people. 
so that in time, those people will be able to walk with other people as well. I think one of the pushbacks that when I encourage people to invest in people uh, as spiritual children, Mike, I'm just not ready. I don't, I don't know enough. I'm not ready to do that. I need other people to do that for me. I'm just, I'm not ready to actually do that. And I wrote down in my journal this response, you are more ready than you know. And the more you pour into people, the more ready you become with helping others become ready to do the same. The more I pour out, the more I'm actually getting ready to keep pouring out, the more I'm learning and growing as I'm pouring out. Billy Graham was... um, uh, interviewed. If you're familiar with Billy Graham, he was, he's very old. He's in his 90s now. His health is failing. But Billy Graham has just faithfully walked with God. He's an evangelist and has just preached the gospel to millions and millions and millions of people. And uh, in the interview, they asked Billy, uh, going back, would you do anything different or what would your ministry look like? And uh, this is what Billy Graham said. I think one of the first things that I would do would be to get a small group of eight or 10 or 12 men around me that would meet a few hours a week and pay the price. It would cost them something in time and effort. I would share with them everything I have over a period of years. And then I would actually have 12 ministers among the laymen who in turn could take eight or 10 or 12 more and teach them. Christ, I think, set the pattern. He spent most of his time with 12 men. He didn't spend it with a great crowd. In fact, every time he had a great crowd, it seems to me that there weren't too many results. The great results, it seems to me, came in his personal interview and in time he spent with the 12. I just loved his response. What would I do? I would invest in a few. I would pour what's been poured into me into a few, knowing that they will also pour into more people. If you believe that you were created to exist forever, then the greatest thing that you could do is start pouring your life into the lives of men and women around you. So a question I would just have for you before I share with the second thing is, who are you investing in today? Like this morning, uh, between first and second service, uh, there's a little over 400 people here. And tonight, maybe another 100. And what really just gets me fired up is to think, gosh, if there was 500 people here today, and every single person made the decision to say, The life, the breath, the vapor that I've been given, I am going to pour my life into the life of somebody else. What impact would that have? If each of us said, yeah, I might not feel ready, but whatever has been given to me, I am going to give to somebody else. I'm going to invest my time, my effort, my energy in the life of somebody else. Whether it be in your own family, whether it be at someone at your work, whether it be someone here at this church, what would it look like for you to say, Yeah, I might feel busy. I might feel like I don't have time, but I will make time because the most important thing is we were all created to exist with God forever. How could I not invest in the life of someone who is going to exist forever? So who would it be? And I would just ask thoughtfully and prayerfully, say, God, really impress in my heart, who could I begin investing what has been invested in me into them? Uh, A second way that our lives can reflect that the reality uh, of we were created to exist forever, uh, eternally minded, eternally living. Uh, And I just have, I guess it's two words. What would it look like? Empty-handed. It would look like I live my life very empty-handed. I live my life investing in people 
and I live my life very empty-handed. I think something that happens as you get older is that it becomes easier to collect and gather and keep more things for ourselves, often with things we think we either need or think we deserve because of things we've done along the way. As we get older, it just gets easier to say, gosh, I've worked so hard in that section of green tape. I deserve this. I need this. You ever notice, like, if you move a lot, uh, how the U-Haul always gets bigger? Like, I remember the day, like, when it was just me and Kyla, and, like, we could fit all of our stuff in a car, and it was so great. It was so free. And then when we moved another time, I was like, gosh, we got a nine-foot U-Haul. Like, what on earth could we fit in nine feet? Like, but we packed it. And then when we moved here 10 years ago, it was like the 22-foot version of a U-Haul. I'm like, what happened to us? Like, we're just collecting more and more and more stuff. And I'm like looking at stuff. I'm like, I didn't even know I had that. How long have we had this? I would look at some clothes I had and it still had tags on it. Like, what is wrong with me? I'm collecting more and more and more as I get older. If you would live your life just in that green tape, you'll collect, you'll grab, you'll start getting things thinking, well, man, I've worked really hard. I need this, I deserve this, I want this, so therefore I will get it. But if you're gonna live eternally minded, you're gonna live your life empty-handed. Now, I wanna be clear, I'm not saying it's wrong or sinful or bad to have things, not at all. But what I am saying is that if we believe this place is not our home, we're gonna invest heavenward. We will invest in heaven. We will invest in people. And I think one of the more challenging things that Jesus said is here in Matthew 6. He said, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. And then listen to what Jesus says. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. And then so challenging, verse 21, wherever your treasure is, there your desires of your heart will also be. Jesus is not saying it's bad to have something. It's not bad to have things. But what Jesus makes incredibly clear is it is a really bad idea to invest your treasures in things here because it won't last. So why not, if you know that, why not invest your treasures in things that will last forever? Why not invest your treasure in heavenly things? Now, for me, I don't know about you, but I wish that's one of those things Jesus didn't say. I wish Jesus didn't say, hey, Michael, your treasure is a reflection of your heart. Because often it's easy for me to say, gosh, my heart is in the right place. My heart wants to be so much more generous. My heart wants to just give and give and do all of these things. And somehow because it translates in my mind that my heart wants to do that, I feel better about, well, I'm not actually doing it, but my heart's at least in the right place. And Jesus says, no, just look at your treasure. And that's always the best reflection of where your heart uh, is at. Uh, and to be clear, treasure is not just the literal stuff that we have. It's the things we'd love to have if we had more money to actually get it. Now, I have a Pinterest account, and I love Pinterest, but Pinterest is absolutely evil. <laughs> and this is why I would say Pinterest is evil. Every time you go on Pinterest, if you're not familiar with Pinterest, don't worry about it. But every time you go on Pinterest, you know what happens? Gosh, look how they decorated their living room. That's so amazing. 
if I had more money, then I could, I could totally do that. I, if I had more money, look at that creative idea I could do with my kitchen. Look at if I had more money, I could actually do this and get this and buy this and own this. Wouldn't it be great? If you're going to live eternally minded, eternally focused to say, gosh, if I had more money, I could give. I could give even more. Like, you know what, to be honest with you, what bums me out is the thought of if I had more money, how often I would think about just using it on me. I've had the same couches for 17 years. I've had two dogs and three kids, and my couches reflect that. I would love to get new couches. I would love it. And how often I'm like, Michael, what is wrong with you? If more money comes in, that's what you really want to invest is just nicer, bigger, better couches? The couch works just fine. Yeah, it smells funny, but it works fine. You sit on it, and it will hold you. Like, I want my heart to get into the place where, no, I just empty-handed, empty-handed. If more comes in, God, I'm sending more out. I don't want to live my life collecting more, amassing more, thinking, well, I deserved it. I worked really hard. Well, what's the point of storing up treasure that just won't last? And please don't get lost in, in the thought of, I'm not saying it's bad to have a couch. That's not my point. My point is, don't invest your treasure in things that will not last. Why not invest your treasure in the things that you know will last forever? Mark Batterson in his book, All In, said it so well. He said, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. If our treasure isn't in it, then our heart isn't there. That is really hard. It's the, it's the person says, well, my heart's in it. Well, if that's true, it's going to show up in your treasure. It's going to show up in that your hands are empty. That if God places something in your hands, it's not for you to put back in your pockets. God, what do you want to, how could I give this? How could I use what you've given me, whether it's a money thing, time thing, a resource thing, a talent thing? How could I not just collect that for me, but how could I just give that to bless, to serve, to encourage somebody else? on their journey towards heaven. So a question I would have for you is, what does your treasure reveal about your heart today? What does it reveal about your heart today? What does the treasures that you have reveal about where your heart is? And again, if you're gonna live life just in the green tape, you're, you're, gonna, have, you're gonna be thinking about what you can get in the time that you have. But if you're living eternally minded, eternally focused, you're going to say, gosh, how could I take everything that I have? How could I use it? How could I use all of this to bless, to serve, to give? Uh, the last thing I wanted to finish with is um, something I was reading this week uh, just in my daily devotions. It was in Second, First and Second Timothy. And um, uh, I met a, a, a gentleman named Demas. And if you have a piece of paper or a journal, my, my final challenge of what it would actually look like to live empty-handed is I would write these words down. Don't pull a Demas, okay? Don't pull a Demas. You've got the Apostle Paul, and the Apostle Paul writes these words. He pins these words at the end of his life. He says, as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. Isn't that amazing? As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. I don't know about you, but... I want to live my life and get to the end of my breath, this mist, this vapor, and say, I got nothing left. 
I poured it all out. I've got nothing in my hands left to give because I just gave it all. My resources, time, get, I gave it all. I poured out my life. And then he goes on to say, uh, the time of my death is near. I fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I've remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. What I love about this picture of the Apostle Paul, if, if you're familiar with Paul, he must have looked terrible. Like his body was so beat up and whipped and abused and stoned. But I just have this picture in my head of Paul at the end of his life saying, I know I look terrible, but I, I poured it all out. And he's looking heavenward saying, but look at the treasure in heaven. Who cares if I've got scars now? Who cares if I'm empty-handed now? Because look at what awaits me and anyone else who stores up treasures for themselves in heaven. So you have this picture of Paul. I poured it all out. I'm empty-handed. But then we meet Demas. In chapter, in chapter, the next two verses, verse 9 and 10, Timothy, please come as soon as you can. Verse 10, Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life. Now, we don't know too much about Demas except that he had a relationship with Paul. We know that he was doing some type of ministry with Paul. And I just have this sense it broke Paul's heart to know that Demas deserted him. Not because the ministry got too hard, not because the persecutions got too great, but what does he say? Demas is gone. Why? Well, because he fell in love with the things of this world. There's something that happens to us as we get older that it's easier to say, gosh, I've worked so hard. I spent the first half of this green tape, two-thirds of this green tape. I, I've earned this. I need this. I want this. And I don't know much about Demas, but what's really sad about Demas is he fell in love with the things of this world rather than falling more in love with the things of God and storing up for himself treasures in heaven. And Paul says, he deserted me. My heart for all of us tonight, for me, for every single one of us, is that none of us would pull a Demas. None of us would fall so much in love with the green tape and everything that happens between here and the rest of our breath. But my heart would be for each of us to say, you know what, I no longer see my life in light of just this right here. I'm not just so focused on working so hard right here so I can enjoy that section right there. I actually see my life now in light of, gosh, I was created to exist forever. Jesus made a way for me to have a relationship with God in heaven forever. There's nothing that can separate or get in the way of that. You were created to exist forever, not just this little section right here. And so if you and I would live our lives not in light of this, if Jesus is a peace or part of your future, you live right there. But if you believe that he is your future, gosh, we live life for the existence that God created for us. Investing in people and living very empty-handed.